Good morning. Uh, so, as Tom said, my name is Wes Martin. Uh, my current call, right, the thing I do as a pastor, is I work for the Salvation Army Adult Rehabilitation Center, which is sort of a drug and alcohol rehab uh, in Oklahoma City. And then uh, I'm a PCA pastor, so this denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, uh, I, I serve in this denomination, I'm ordained in this denomination. Uh, and so I've been sort of based out of City Pres, and then actually starting next month, I will also be uh, becoming the assistant pastor of Heritage Presbyterian Church over in Edmond, Oklahoma. But before I came down to uh, Oklahoma again, this is where we're from, and started working for the Salvation Army, I had a very brief stint of pastoring a small church up in Canada. And um, one night before uh, one of the evening services, this was one of those churches that had two services, I was standing at the back, and one of the elders of this church walked up to me, and he disagreed with me over something. And he disagreed with me loudly over something. And I, in all of my pastoral wisdom, got in his face and I was just as vehement and loud as he was. Ugh. Right? I was foolish. I was foolish. In some ways, it was the beginning of the end for me there for all sorts of reasons. There were so many better things I could have done. I could have spoken softer. I could have just taken a deep breath and been more reasonable. I could have said, you know, you may have a good point. Why don't we go talk about this privately after the service? But instead, I acted the fool and met him with his own level of foolishness. Why? Why did I act so foolishly? Well, in, in that moment, I acted foolishly because I was a fool. Right? Uh, I, I was... Immature, I lacked wisdom, and while we did much good ministry in Canada, uh, we suffered a lot in Canada, and not all because of my foolishness, but certainly at times we suffered because of my own foolishness. Maybe you can relate with that. Maybe you have been foolish and suffered consequences for it. Or maybe you've even been faithful, really serving Christ wisely. And nonetheless, you have suffered for it. I, I suspect most of us have stories on both counts. Because the fact is, we, we suffer for our foolishness, but we also suffer to serve Christ. Uh, and so we, most, we all have both of those stories. And what I, I want to say to you this morning is, have you ever acted in foolishness, looked back and gone, I was so stupid, why did I do that? Uh, uh, if you're honest, of course you do. <laughs> and if you've ever wondered how we can possibly begin to have wisdom in those hard moments, and frankly, whether you're a Christian or not this morning, we all long for wisdom in those hard moments, our scripture passage this morning has something to say to us. And what it has to say to us is good news. 
Because what our scripture passage this morning is going to say is that there is grace in our failure, true hope for wisdom, and real comfort and support for us in our suffering. There is real uh, grace for us in our failure, true hope for wisdom, and real comfort and support for us in our suffering. So, uh, our sermon today comes from Colossians 1, verse 24, through chapter 2, verse 5. Now, before I read this to you, I just want to set the scene. Paul's writing this letter to a church he's never uh, met, but he's heard about them. And he's said, I'm encouraged by you. Uh, and he sort of reminded them of their first love, told, uh, just reminded them about Jesus. And then he makes what may feel like a sharp turn. He starts to talk about his own ministry, about his suffering in that ministry. And this is really where he speaks to all of us in our suffering, especially our suffering for Christ, and in our search for wisdom. So, I'm going to ask you to please stand if you are able and give your attention to the reading of God's word from Colossians 1, uh, beginning in verse 24. The Apostle Paul writes this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Thus far, the reading of God's word. All men are like dust, and the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you're always more ready to hear than we are to pray and to give more than we either desire or deserve. Pour down upon us the abundance of your mercy, giving us wisdom, preparing us for suffering, forgiving us those things of which our conscience is afraid, and giving us those good things for which we're not worthy to ask, except through the merits 
and mediation of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. As suffering goes up, wisdom often goes down. As suffering goes up, wisdom often goes down. Uh, Wisdom is something we really have to arrive at before we get to the suffering. Fact is, I was already going through some hard things before that night uh, at the church, but my wisdom, or my my suffering was going up, and my wisdom was going down significantly. And I can sort of lament all the things I should have done. Uh, you know, I, I can know all these techniques that would have helped. In fact, I did know them at the time. I knew all, I'd read the leadership books. I knew the techniques. But techniques do not help if we don't have the character that comes with true wisdom. Techniques don't help if we don't have the character that comes with true wisdom. Now, there is a correlation between technique and wisdom. you got to know how to do something to do it, right? But wisdom tells us when to do it and with what nuance to do it. And so we're all asking, but how do I get wisdom? Especially wisdom in suffering. Basically, Paul in this passage is saying, I've been suffering for you because I want you to have wisdom, which is found only in Jesus Christ, and you're going to suffer with me. Wisdom, Paul says, is found in knowing Jesus. Now, I'm, not saying I, I'm not saying we didn't know Jesus when we did those foolish things, but I am saying the more we know Jesus, the more wisdom we will have. If for no other reason than the better we know Jesus, the more grace we have for the foolishness in ourselves and in others. Paul is saying Christ is wisdom. Know Christ and you'll know wisdom. That's, that's really his big point. Uh, Paul says, starting in verse 25, uh, that he is a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul is saying he's been specially chosen, but he's now giving this good news, this message to others so that they can also go out and be a part of making this known to all peoples, That's what it's talking about when it talks about Gentiles. That God wants people to know all the riches of glory and hope in Christ. And so him we proclaim, calling others. And yes, indeed, teaching. uh, And with all wisdom and warning others. Paul wants to make this known uh, so that, as he says near the end of our passage in in Colossians 2.4, He wants to make this uh, known in order that no one may delude you 
with plausible arguments. Apparently, someone had been telling the Colossians something, something persuasive, something that sounded wise other than Christ. What plausible arguments have you believed or heard other than Christ? There are different voices in our culture that tell us all sorts of things, right? Republicans say, you need to do this. Democrats say, no, 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 you need to do this, right? Um, The preppy kids say, you need to be this way to be cool. The nerdy kids, who rule the world, the nerdy kids say, no, you need to be this way. There's a little Steve Urkel coming out, I don't know. Uh, The Sooners say you need to be this way, but the Cowboys say, no, you need to be this way. Who should we listen to? God, that's right. Amen. Amen, little one. Let me ask you, what is your place and culture telling you? What is your political party? What are your friends and your TV shows and your social media telling you over and over again? You need to know. What are they telling you? And where do they not reflect the grace, truth, forgiveness, mercy, faith, hope, and love of Jesus? Where do we need to just turn off what the culture or people are around us saying so that we can hear what Jesus is saying far better? Now, I want to stop. I don't know you guys, but I imagine, I actually hope, some of you disagree with me here today. I hope some of you here today are not Christians. And I want to talk to our other-than-Christian friends here today that probably find what I have just said quite offensive. You find it offensive that I would suggest that Jesus is the only way to true wisdom. He would say something like, Wisdom can be found in all religions and places, Wes. And to you, I want to say, I actually agree with you. Well, at least to some extent. I I do think there is wisdom to be found in many religions and philosophies and, yes, even sometimes on social media. But the fact is, they only are wisdom insofar as they affirm what Jesus has already said anyways, I would say. And that's something we call common grace, okay? That's God gives good things to lots of people, not just Christians. And to you, other than Christian friend, I just want to ask you, don't you really think I'm unwise for saying what I just said? Don't you think I'm foolish for saying what I just said? If I were you, and by the way, I used to be you. I grew up as an atheist. I used to think Christians were wildly foolish, and arrogant. And maybe you say, you are so arrogant for claiming that wisdom is only found in Jesus. And that's, I'm okay with that. I just want you to acknowledge that you are in fact saying, I'm foolish. You're actually saying that I'm the one lacking wisdom and you're the one with real wisdom. That's actually what you think. No, I'm, that's not what I said. Yeah, of course it is. You just said you're right and I'm wrong, and that's okay. I just want you to be honest that we disagree rather than trying to make it look like we agree 
when we actually don't. We're actually going to have a way better conversation with each other about what wisdom is if we can be honest we disagree with each other first. You're no more judgmental than I am. I'm no more judgmental than you. We just disagree. And we can disagree and still be friends. But I want us to be clear that we disagree on where wisdom comes from and not say anything about how we really agree when we don't. That way we can spend time together and talk about things. And I want to listen to you and understand you. I want you to feel heard. And yes, because of what I believe, I, I want to warn you and teach you so that you can come to know the mercy and hope of glory in Christ. I want to invite you in to what I think is so wonderful and wise, just as you want to invite me. Now, Christian friends, uh, please don't be surprised when your other than Christian friends reject Christ as wisdom. Sometimes Christians just... <laughs> Sorry, that's maybe a stereotype. I sometimes feel that uh, Christians get angry that the rest of the world has rejected Christ. How could they? That, that's the sort of thing I hear on unthoughtful Christian media at times. But we shouldn't be shocked by that. And we shouldn't be mean to our other than Christian friends. We shouldn't ridicule them or look down on them. How dare you? Jesus treated sinners and tax collectors with honor and respect. We want to share the love of Christ with our other than Christian friends with no condescension. Right? That's the only way they're ever going to listen to us. This is why Paul wrote over in 1 Corinthians, uh, I have it written down here, I'm not going to turn to it, but in 1 Corinthians 1, he wrote, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christians, we preach Christ crucified. But we need to know it's a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, to those who are called, no matter their ethnicity, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God calls home God's people. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We proclaim our foolishness, but we're also not offended or surprised when others call us foolish. It's okay. And also, for those of you who are already convinced of Christ, and this is for all of us, right? Be hungry for wisdom. Wisdom in how to speak to others. Wisdom in how to run this church. Wisdom in how to go into your daily life. Just be hungry for it. I'm actually not going to tell you how to be wise today, other than I encourage you to know Christ. Mostly because then this would be a three-hour sermon, and it's going to be an hour and a half as it is. Not really. But if you want wisdom, start by learning of Christ, for that is what leads to wisdom. Now, some of you may say things like, you know, learning theology is just so intellectual. Theology is sort of the study of God. But I want you to remember, 
when we talk about learning theology, we're really just talking about getting to know a person, right? That's how you get to be friends with anyone. You get to know them. That's all theology is, just learning about the one you love because he loved you first. And the fact is, to have wisdom, you have to know the truth. You have to know black and white to begin having wisdom for all the gray in the world, and there is a lot. And that means you really do have to learn a lot of doctrine. You have to just learn stuff that's true. And a good way to do that may be to memorize the Westminster Shorter Catechism. That's a thing our denomination uses to tell us what the Bible teaches in short, because the Bible's long. So maybe memorize that catechism. But then you're still going to want to know how to live. And again, we so often mistake how-to knowledge for wisdom. I knew how to deal with that elder that night. I just didn't do it right. I knew what to do. I just messed it up. (laughs) Wisdom is so much bigger than how-to's. But it does start with knowing Christ and his word and truth. And that's why Proverbs encourages us in Proverbs 4, 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Don't be intimidated by learning theology and learning the Bible. The fact is, I know, I know, a bunch of y'all know the names of every character on Downton Abbey. And I know, I know a bunch of y'all know the numbers of all the OSU football players. Don't lie, you know them all. And you can tell me the resume, the full resume of the last three coaches of the OSU football team. I know you do. If you've got enough brain power to do that, you can do theology. Let me just encourage you, you're smarter than you think you are. Learning theology isn't any harder than memorizing the resumes of the last five coaches of the St. Louis Cardinals or something. That's all it is. Ah, but I'm in a Presbyterian church. uh, If if you're a visitor today, Presbyterians are sort of known for loving their doctrine, right? Oh, we, we know all the right answers. We have the Westminster Shorter Catechism after all. (laughs) And, and yeah, we we do know all sorts of right biblical doctrine, and it is right. And yet we can still be wildly unwise. In fact, I would go so far as to say that there are a lot of people who know all the doctrine and don't know Christ at all. Ruh-roh. What do we do with that? How do we make sure we're actually knowing Christ and learning wisdom if we can know all the doctrine and still not have any wisdom. Well, Paul at least points us in the right direction. It's things we need to be looking for in ourselves that can make us go, "Uh uh-oh, I don't have wisdom. I got to run to Jesus for mercy. He says uh, down in verse 2 that when we have wisdom, we're going to have hearts that will be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So basically he's saying that to make sure you have real wisdom and not just doctrine is going to involve constantly running to Christ for mercy. And it's going to involve real humility and admitting you don't know it all, even if you did memorize the whole catechism. It's going to involve examining your heart 
and forsaking self-righteousness. And it's going to involve seeking to, to look for and be encouraging. To look for encouragement, joy, and love in yourself. And to seek mercy where you don't have that. And it's going to involve looking to Jesus and depending on the Holy Spirit and constantly seeking wisdom. And to make sure you have true wisdom involves a lot of humility. We're just so bad to think we know it all. But we're not know-it-alls. And we're foolish when we think we are. Real wisdom is a lot of admitting you're foolish. Real wisdom involves a lot of admitting you're foolish, confessing your sin, and seeking to be encouraging of others rather than condemning Seeking to be knit together in love and resisting divisiveness. And above all, wisdom means looking to Jesus and praying and making decisions slowly and depending on the Holy Spirit and not trusting yourself and not being self-righteous and longing for godly character before you start suffering. But or because, I should say. Once you start finding wisdom, gaining wisdom in Christ is actually going to lead to some very real suffering. So wait, if I'm foolish, I'm going to suffer. And if I'm wise, I'm going to suffer. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Paul said in our opening verse, verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Rejoice in sufferings. It sounds like that, remember that scene in uh, Prisoner of Azkaban? Ron looks over at Harry and says, he's reading the tea leaves and he goes, you're going to suffer, but you're going to be happy about it. Is that what I'm saying? You're going to suffer, but you're going to be happy about it? No, that is not what I'm saying. And that's not what Paul is saying. Uh, You've got to understand, this passage is not a general theology of suffering. That's not what I'm talking about today. That's a good coffee conversation for later. Uh, but rather, this passage today is specifically about the suffering that comes with ministry, which you are all called to. We are all called to. The fact is, the Bible never says that we're going to be happy about our suffering. But it does say that in our suffering, we can have joy and comfort. Because suffering in life is not necessarily a result of a lack of wisdom. Suffering in life is not necessarily a result of a lack of wisdom. Suffering comes to godly people acting in all wisdom, That's what's happening to the Apostle Paul, right? He says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions with my own suffering. He's talking about something all Christians have to go through, something God himself has planned as part of redemption itself. Whoa. I'm not saying we add anything to the work of the cross of Christ, okay? That's not what I said. But Paul is saying that our, because of our union with Christ, our suffering really does play a part in redemption. Our suffering really does make a difference in the world when it is for Christ. 
And because of our mystical union with Christ, Jesus suffers with us. Maybe you've suffered because you, that conversation I had earlier with our other than Christian friends, maybe you've tried to have that conversation uh, and it just didn't go well. And you did a good job. You actually did. But you wound up suffering because they forsook you. You lost your job. You lost the deal. Whatever. In fact, I, I, I might go so far. I might go so far as to say that if you've never suffered for the sake of Christ, I'm not so sure you're doing this right. I'm not so sure you've really shared Christ if sharing Christ hasn't messed some things up once in a while. And listen, I don't say that to condemn you, but I do say it to convict you and to encourage you that we are in fact called to proclaim Christ, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Because we love people. We love people and we want them to be wise. And so we want to share Jesus with them because we love them. How unloving to not share wisdom when someone lacks it. Uh, Paul says here in Colossians that for this, for proclaiming Christ, I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You, you get the Holy Spirit to work in you. You're not doing this alone. You've got God's help, right? And then he goes on to say, uh, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. I want you to know this takes real effort. It did for me, and it's going to for you. And all this he does, he says, so that he can rejoice. Right, our last verse. I do this also, I can rejoice to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. He wants to rejoice to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is military language, right? This is Paul talking about the good order of a platoon prepared for battle prepared to suffer, and all for the joy of proclaiming Christ. We need to share because if we embrace sharing the wisdom of Christ, even in suffering, it will bring us joy. But how does this work? How, how do we get joy from suffering? I'm just having a hard time connecting these dots, Wes. Help me out. So, this is hard. Uh, I'm Paul actually sort of writes about this. He does write about it over in 2 Corinthians 1. And I'm just going to read what he says to you, and I hope it'll be helpful to you. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1, uh, verses 3 through 7. He writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So a big part of this is 
Paul saying that suffering for Christ actually does lead to comfort because basically we know one day suffering is going to end. And we want to bring others into the end of that suffering with us. You know, don't be fooled. True wisdom involves suffering. True wisdom of all kinds involves suffering. Paul talks about that over in Romans 5, verses 3 through 7. He says that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. This is our motivation to accept the suffering, to receive the suffering, not because of what we get in the right now necessarily, but because of what we're going to get. I have nothing to, like, give you right now but a promise of what is going to come. That, that's, just part of the, that's just part of the deal. But the fact is, you, you are only going to buy into the benefits of suffering when you know that someday the suffering is going to stop. You're only going to stop running from the suffering and serve others, proclaim Christ, go be in the poor neighborhoods, go serve the homeless, go hang out with the addicts and the dangerous people when you first know that it is only the foolish wisdom of the cross that leads to hope and eternal comfort. Because until you believe in the foolishness of the cross, you won't accept the foolishness of Christian service, which leads to suffering. Christian service will always lead to suffering. So you've got to know someone else suffers with you and has suffered for you. As you accept him, you get wisdom and comfort in your suffering. Because in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can actually suffer in order to share in others' sufferings and so share the comfort of Christ. But you won't have the confidence that there will be comfort until you first put your faith in the wise sufferer. Here's the thing that gives us wisdom, and here's the one that gives us hope. Remember how I started all this? I said there's true hope for wisdom, true hope for wisdom in Christ. You've got to look to Jesus. I also said there's real comfort and support for us in our suffering, which again comes from Jesus. And if you're not convicted at this point, you ain't been listening, but that's okay. There is grace for us in our failure. There's grace for us in our failure. All three of these, wisdom, comfort, and grace are rooted in the wise sufferer, Jesus Christ. Jesus has suffered with us and for us. And when we love Christ who has loved us, suffering becomes worth it. You're only going to think I'm not crazy if you know Jesus first. You're only going to think I'm not utterly foolish if you know Jesus first. So other than Christian friends here today, if this sounds foolish, of course it does. But I and my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ here, we have one that has suffered for us. We have one who is wise, yet suffered like a fool. We have one that said, we have a God that says, I will not leave you in your foolishness, and I won't leave you when you're foolish, because I've given my son, Jesus. 
It, it was prophesied of Jesus hundreds of years before uh, in Isaiah 11:2 that the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Jesus. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord will come to this Messiah, this Savior, this wise sufferer. And that is exactly what happened. That's why Paul, or Peter, writes in 1 Peter 3.18, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. We might say, the wise for the foolish, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. Friends, we love others. We suffer for ministry. To proclaim Jesus because he is the wise one that has loved us fools through the cross. The good news, my friends, or the gospel, is that the wise one, Jesus Christ, was treated as the foolish one, so foolish ones like us can be treated by God as though we were utterly wise. And when your faith is in Christ, who is all wisdom, all your foolish ways are forgiven. There will be comfort for you as you serve him in the foolishness of the cross. And there will actually, through your union with Christ, through your faith, be the Holy Spirit that will give you wisdom. That's how you suffer. That's how you get wisdom. Through Christ. Christian is available all of us. And other than Christian friend, it's available for you too. If we come to Jesus for mercy and wisdom, that's good news. Let's pray. Father, we do rejoice in our sufferings for your sake. And we ask that we can be a part of redemption. You would use our sufferings for the sake of the body, that is the church. And in all of this, we as Grace Presbyterian Church, would make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages, that we'd make it known to all sorts of people, uh, poor, rich, uh, black, white, Hispanic, whatever. We, We wish that you would draw many people and make the glory of Christ known and that many people in Stillwater would know the hope of glory. Him we want to proclaim, help us, Holy Spirit, to be kind and humble, as we would warn everyone and teach everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone, including ourselves, by your grace, mature in Christ. We toil for this. We need your energy working in us for this. Please be doing it. Knit our hearts together in love. Help us have comfort and assurance of Christ. And give us wisdom and knowledge. And let us truly have good order and firmness of faith in Christ that we may have wisdom and comfort in our suffering. Do this work amongst us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.